0: That beautiful song is called Lamb of Glory. And if you've ever heard it before, marvelous uh, words on that song as well. Well, here we are in the fourth week, final week of our series Stand. And we've been talking about four unique soldiers of Christ who decided to take a stand in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we know them as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This morning, as we close out the series, our reading is once again in Daniel chapter 1. And if you're physically able, would you please stand there as I read just five verses today. We'll start in verse number 17 and go through the end of chapter 1. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us today. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge. And skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Well, we've talked about purpose, which is the passionate desire to please God. We've talked about providence, where only God can provide outcomes, even when we have a desire to please him. And last week we talked about proof where the Hebrew children actually had to show their faith by their works. They actually had to prove themselves for 10 days. But today we're going to see presence, unique gifting from the God of heaven placed upon the lives of these young men. And I hope it will be applicable to our lives. Let's pray. Father, would you bless now during this time this morning, I pray that our hearts would be at one with you, that we would worship through our hearts as we hear your words. And I pray that you would guide us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And please listen to this song.
1: Refuge in the storm Through these trials
0: Praise God for the the message of that song, and I appreciate that very much this morning. It's always uh, good to have some family in town, and and my mom's mother is here this morning, and two of my mom's sisters, and my giant cousin, Andy. And uh, what what happened, now this is folklore in our family, and it's kind of a legend thing. Um, I was born, and I was born with the genetics to be... Uh, just a moderately six-foot guy, you know, just kind of the normal kind of guy, kind of like Aaron. And um, what happened is about three and a half weeks later, uh, Andy was born, and when we touched feet for the first time, he stole half of my tallness in the genetic code, and so he went up an extra six, and I went down six. (laughs) And so ever since, you know, he was like 10 years old, we've been about this far apart when we hug. So we did this awkward try to attempt at hugging this morning, and I was down like at his belt. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. Uh, but it's always great to see him. <laughs> no, I'm just, I, I really like seeing Andy. It's fun to spend time with him. Uh, we, my wife and I, had one of the most interesting nights that we've ever had in the history of nights. Last night, and um, usually, you know, i go to sleep about, maybe 11 and yeah uh, so cooking channels on and kind of nodding off in and out these kids are cooking some meal and the phone rings and she's talking to the alarm company and somehow the burglar alarm went off just before 11 or something so I didn't think I was going to have to go because she was trying to talk him out of it and then uh, she said well the police are already there and they said it's the front door and so I came down and uh, so I walked through with the police nothing there and so I went home, and I got into bed. And I just got to a really good sleep, and I heard the phone ring again. My goodness gracious, not, not really, it's not going to happen. And I said, well, they're calling again, and they it said it's the fire alarm. The fire alarm? And I remembered, uh, just you know, in the drowsiness of just waking up from just going to sleep, I remember that earlier that morning I had put a bucket out in the lobby because there's a little drip uh, that was coming. And uh, you know how the Bible says that uh, how great uh, a fire a little matter kindleth? Well, that drip that was coming down was significant. All right? It took me all night to figure this out. Um, it was significant because it was dripping straight into a smoke detector. And so, at about one ten in the morning, or maybe even before that don 't even really know what happened, the smoke detector shorted out, which caused the alarm at the pull box to trip and so the next time that it did a circuit, I figured this out all at six this morning, um, the <laughs> third time I came and but But anyway, um, I came down, and the fire guys were here, and, and they had already gone into the building through their lock box thing and and my wife was fielding all these phone calls from the sheriff and the, uh, the alarm company. She's had less sleep than I have because she has a hard time getting back to sleep. So, so I'm walking around, and all of a sudden, Brother Sid shows up. Like, man, how'd you get here? Did my wife call you in the middle of the night? And he said, no, the alarm company called me. So while all these calls are coming in, she must have missed one. And so Sid got to join the party. And so we walked through, and we. And he's uh, we walked through and figured it all out. And I went home and went to bed. Just got to sleep. Rings again. Sheriff says, uh, the strobes are going off and the horns are going off at your building. And I told my wife, it is impossible that they're going off because, first of all, the burglar alarm's not even on. I'm not messing with the thing anymore. Come and rob us. I don't care. <laughs> Second of all, I talked to the alarm company personally and they told me that our alarm couldn't go off again because they dialed me this code that's supposed to keep it from going off. And she said, okay, well, I'll tell them that. Should Tell the sheriff's office that, right? So I went back to sleep for like 30 minutes, and then it rang again. And then she was talking to him again, and she called the alarm company and said, is our alarm going off? And the alarm company said, the alarm's not going off. Well... It just so happens that some of our wonderful, blessed, godly neighbors continued to call 911 because it was going off. And it was so loud that when my truck got down about two blocks with my windows up and my radio on, I could hear it. (laughs) And so, God bless all of our neighbors, Tom and Diane included. Um, and so it was going off, and that's the, the last time, or the third time I came, I finally figured out it's the smoke detector. And so I took it down, and now we've got no fire protection, so don't do anything crazy here this morning. <laughs> and I, I want you to know that if anything strange happens during the message, I may be a little loopy, okay? Just could be just a hair loopy. But we, we've got this passage, and it's so terrific because we've been leading up to this now. And the end of the three-year apprenticeship was finally done. These young men, uh, I want you to think about this for just a minute. These young men had thrived, you catch the word thrived, on cabbage soup and water for 36 months. Anybody buying? Anybody taking on that? Yeah, I'll do cabbage soup and water for 36 months. I once did it for three hours of a three-day diet. Well, that's how far I got with it. My wife said, there's this great diet. You eat cabbage soup, but you can drink all the water you want. <laughs> I got about three hours in that thing, and my head was like... Whoop, they did it for 36 months, and now they're brought in before the king. And the king, the Bible says, was amazed by the wisdom and the understanding that he saw in these Hebrew children. And here's what I want you to understand that God's gifting always leads to God's glory. Every single time. God's gifting always leads to God's glory. And with every good impression they made, they were but a reflection of their Father in heaven. And so first, I want you to understand, and, and this is in your notes as well, God's gifting always matches God's calling. God's gifting always matches God's calling. Look at verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now God's the one who gives us everything. And he gave to these young men knowledge and skill. And he gave to Daniel an understanding that included dreams and visions. None of this was because of them. It was all because of God. And it's like Paul asked the Corinthians, and I'm paraphrasing, so this is not a biblical quote, but it's from 1 Corinthians 4.7. He says to the Corinthians, who made you different from other people? Isn't that a good question? Who made you different from other people? What do you have that you didn't receive? That's his next question. 1 Corinthians 4.7, if you ever look at it, it's just three questions, right? Who made you different from other people? What do you have that you didn't receive? And here's the third question. Boy, this one just blows you away. If it's a gift, why are you acting like you did it by yourself? See, that's what we do. God gifts us and he gives us abilities and he gives us these uh, blessings and he gives us a pathway to walk on. And then sometimes we begin to feel like we're entitled to it. Our life group talked about this morning... Uh, when Solomon felt like he was entitled to his wisdom, and how everything became vanity in his life at that moment. When he realized his wisdom was from God and he lived as if it were God's wisdom that had been given to him, he was fulfilled. But when he went outside of that and tried to search it on his own, it became vanity to him. God doesn't send his servants into circumstances where the necessary gifts to complete his will are not provided. And you can rest assured that God's not going to ask you to do something that he will not first equip you to do. And here's, here's what happens, though. We start a lot of times to look around at other people. And we begin to look at their gifts to gauge how we are doing ourselves. And when we do that, we think that what God has given us isn't enough. God, you could have given me what he has. God, you could have blessed me like you did her. And we say the famous words in our hearts. We don't say them out loud because we wouldn't dare, but we say them in our hearts. It's not fair. By the way, it's not fair. God gifts individuals in different ways, and it's all up to him. He's a sovereign God. And our job is to be content with such things as we have and to use them for God's glory. I want to show you quickly one of the most interesting passages to me in all of Scripture regarding this issue. If you go back to Numbers chapter 7, and if you are ever playing Bible trivia, I believe that this is the second longest chapter in all the Bible. <coughs> I think it is. Could be. Number 7, check this out. <coughs> Here in Numbers 7, they're handing out gifts. And uh, let's just read it because it's kind of self-explanatory. Numbers 7, verse number 6. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Now Look, look at how it worked. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according to, unto their service under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Koath, he gave none because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Now think about this for just a minute. Gershon gets two wagons and four Oxen. Murari gets four wagons and eight oxen. Kohath gets no wagons and no oxen. That's absolutely not fair. Now, if it were fair, they could say we should all get two wagons and four oxen. That'd make it all the same, and then it'd be fair, and everybody can be happy. Why don't we all get the same? Here's why. The sons of Coath had to carry their load on their shoulders. They couldn't use a wagon. They couldn't use an ox. Oh, really? Well, what was it that they were carrying? Well, how about the Ark of the Covenant? And maybe, just maybe, God didn't give you as many wagons as the person next to you. And maybe God didn't give you any oxen to help you carry your load. But could it be that God has gifted you with exactly what He wants you to have for the service He desires you to do? And we've all heard the old saying, and it's nowhere to be found in the Bible: God will never give you more than you can carry. Not in the Bible. You know what happens when you have a heavy load? You share it. Not one of the sons of Kohath ever carried the ark by himself. They had a whole group. And we are supposed to bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. And when the load gets too heavy, we're supposed to cast our burden on the Lord and he'll sustain us. And we're supposed to cast all our cares upon him as well. And listen to me, don't get into a burden contest. With the people around you that's so often what we do we get into this burden contest i've got the biggest burden and let me tell you about my burden right do you know that some people with the biggest burdens have four wagons and eight oxen and some people with the smallest burdens and everybody looks at them, i wish i could carry your burden Yeah, but they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're carrying something that may be a little different than your load. And everybody's load was important. Do you know the badger skins were just as important to God as the Ark of the Covenant? God wanted his tabernacle structured in a certain way. And everybody had a gift and everybody had a burden that they were supposed to bear. And I want you to know that God's gifting always matches God's calling. But there's a second part. And if you go back to Daniel 1, I want you to, to check this out because it's making a strong first impression. And they have entire classes on that now, by the way. And you can look them up and attend them. How to make a strong first impression. How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Anybody ever have to read that book? Yeah, Had to read it. Should have read it twice. Missed that verse 18 daniel 1 look at it again the end of days the king had said he should bring them in prince the eunuchs brought them in before nebuchadnezzar and the king communed with them the king communed with them now can you imagine if you had been prepped to meet a dignitary for three years of your life that's that's a lot of time You had been on a special diet. You had learned all the manners of the court. Most importantly, you had learned the horrible things that people had done in the past to have their heads removed. You had learned all the manners that had gotten people thrown to the wild animals or burning a furnace. Three years, and now the end of the days. The day comes, and you will be brought in before the great king Nebuchadnezzar. I have a theory as to why the Hebrew children did so well in their first meeting with the king. Want to hear my theory? God was with them. That's it. That's the end of the theory. You guys are, what what else? God was with them. And if you have ever made a strong first impression to shine Jesus into someone's life, it is only because God is with you, and it is only because you are reflecting the light that is his light. And so God was with them. And that's pretty simple. Because these young men feared the God of heaven, they weren't really that afraid of an earthly king, in spite of all the stories they heard. And the king himself struck up a conversation with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he was impressed. They had all the answers. They had all the confidence. They had great personalities. You know, you move from that meeting into our modern celebrity culture, the singer Prince died on Thursday. And immediately, within minutes, social media had millions of posts and quotes and feedback. And in our world, because people have been on a stage or they've acted in a movie or a show or they've been celebrated in some way, there's a segment of the culture that idolizes them, puts them on a pedestal that wants to know their opinions about everything. And these celebrities are some of the brightest bulbs in the box, I'm telling you. You know, every single person, no matter how famous, faces eternity the same way. And those who have received Jesus as Savior have eternal life. Those who have refused to receive Jesus are faced with eternal death. And it doesn't matter how much money they have or how big their estate is or how popular they were. And we have to be careful that we, as the children of God, don't get caught up in worshiping men. We should worship God and not people. Romans 1, which really gives the signs of how a culture moves away from God, maybe better than anywhere else in Scripture, says that one of the parts of the progression is that people will begin to worship the creature instead of the creator. And whether that's worshiping people that you see on a magazine cover or worshiping the person you see in the mirror, if you worship somebody on this earth more than you worship God, you have bought into the humanistic paradigm of our modern world. We see it all around us. Through Christ Not only should we be unafraid to influence anyone, we're actually commanded to shine as lights to the world around us. And when you walk into any situation as an authentic child in the family of God, God's peace and his confidence will be evident in your life. But it's not because of you, it's because of him. See, all of God's traits are good, and and that's what makes spirit-filled people attractive. To those who are hungry for peace. At the same time. On the back side of this coin. Spirit filled people. Will always be the Bible says. At enmity. Or enemies. We'll have lots of enemies. Those who reject God. And once again. Not because of who we are. But because of who our God is. The world is at enmity with God. And that's why we are. The same King Nebuchadnezzar who was blown away by these Hebrew children when his mind was open to their God would be the one who threw three of them into a fiery furnace when they wouldn't bow down to his idol. And when we don't bow down to the politically correct ideas of our culture, we are quickly abandoned by our culture. I'm telling you as believers, if our goal is to try to please the people around us we're in for a world of hurt because standing for god in this century standing for god in this decade even is going to get a lot harder it's going to get a lot harder and there are people across the world who have faced these things and, and really we as american christians have not faced them for centuries but we're about to If we go to Daniel chapter 1 again, and I want you to see this third part, obviously better than the alternative. Daniel 19 says they stood before the king, 119. Verse 20 says that he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. So the pagan king's astounded because the Hebrew children were 10 times better than his own magicians his own musicians, magicians, M- musicians. You guys were fine with that. i just go with them. You know, none of us should be surprised when purpose-filled believers who are sharing the way, the truth, and the life are noticed over those who are selling utter emptiness. What was so intriguing about a loud, lanky young man from the woods of North Carolina that made thousands of people fill stadiums across the world for decades, starting in the early 1950s. Billy Graham was preaching truth. And it wasn't about him, it was about his God. If you want to stand for God, you got to remember this. Standing out for God requires standing up for God. And when you refuse to stand up for God, you will quickly... Stop standing out for God because you'll just fit in with the culture. I'm telling you, there's nothing more compelling, there's nothing more magnetic, and there's nothing more opposed than giving legitimate truth. A believer who's allowing his light to shine can illuminate the darkness in a significant way. Just about everyone you know is focused on the trivial. Just about everyone you know and all they talk about is the latest news and the weather and the political scene and yesterday's sports cor- scores and all the water cooler tar- talk of the day, tarts and whatever. It's just, you know, this is when we start losing control. Brain, this side is, this, this side, like, not connecting. We're, we're supposed to be different, folks. Obviously better than the alternative. But I just want you to remember one time, it's not because of us. It's because of the Christ who lives in us. The Bible says in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not you. And it's not me. It's Christ in me. And Christ in you. And Christ in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was going to cause a huge difference in Babylon. They were obviously better than the alternative. Then I want you to go back to this last verse in Daniel chapter 1. It's a short verse, but it, it's really a profound verse. It says, And Daniel continued even at the first year of King Cyrus. It's Unbelievable because you think about what happened here. If you know the history of this, that means that Daniel stood before a king for 70 years. In fact, it goes on in the book to say that he went past the first year of Cyrus and he was there for some of Cyrus' reign. What was significant about that? Why did it let us know that he'd be there to the first year of the reign of Cyrus? Here's why because Cyrus is the one. Prophesied by Isaiah and Jeremiah to send the Jews back to their homeland after a 70 year absence. You can read about it in the book of Ezra. And Daniel, as an elderly man, got to look out his window and watch as the train of camels left Babylon. And on some of those camels were people he had known as children were going to go back in their late 70s and in their 80s to see Jerusalem again and he saw the descendants of many of those he had grown up with who were not made into eunuchs riding on those camels thousands of them who would go back and build the foundation for the temple who would go back and rejoice in Jerusalem and Daniel was going to get to see it all he continued he never retired from using the gifts God had given him Our gifts are not up for retirement. Now, our bodies sometimes are, but our gifts aren't. And in the next chapter, we find Daniel interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even remember. Think about that for just a second, right? Your wife wakes up in the morning and says, honey, I had a dream. They say, oh, you did again? That's what I would say. Because it happens a lot. She has lots of dreams. And she just, my wife, she could write books on the details of her dreams, right? Now, when I have a dream, it is lost, (laughs) forever lost. It never comes back. If I have to get up to, you know, whatever, use the restroom or because the phone rings or whatever in the middle of the night, my dream's gone. It's vanished. But hers, she knows. And it would be like if I woke up and said, you know what? I had a dream, and I want you to tell me what it means. You know, the first thing she's going to ask me, well, what was your dream? I don't remember my dream. <laughs> well, if you don't remember it, how do you expect me to help you tell you what it means? That was what Daniel did. All the magicians said, King, before we can tell you what it means, you have to tell us what it is. And the king said, if you don't tell me what it means, I'll kill you. They're like, nobody could do this, king, nobody could do this. And Daniel stood up and he said, there is a God in heaven who can do this. And he became a testimony. And Daniel was promoted by God again and again. And he built a lasting legacy of God's truth from the inner circle of Babylon itself. His ministry continued for over seven decades and at least five kings. None of the kings Daniel worked with was a believer in his God. And yet he continued to have great influence. Think about this for just a moment as we close. In America, we have been blessed, even spoiled, by having a large number of Christians in our nation for hundreds of years. And we're so spoiled, in fact, that there are not just Hundreds of Christians, there are hundreds of denominations of Christians. Right? And it, there's like 60 something types of Baptists. It's incredible. And it, then there's all these other ones who claim that salvation's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it, here in the United States, we have been spoiled to the point where we almost have an entitlement Christianity. And we're seeing it in some of our strongest evangelical states now in the southeast where the Christians are trying to stand up for what's right and stand up for laws and uh, the culture's coming in and just chopping their legs out. And the culture's come in and demanding things from them. And if we stay on this earth much longer, if the Lord tarries his coming, the political picture is going to get darker and darker for believers. And it really doesn't matter who's president, who's on the Supreme Court, and all that stuff. You know, we should pray for that. We should work as good, be good citizens for those things. But that's not going to matter because I read the back of the book. Okay? And what happens is, is, it turns into a one world government. And there's this guy named the Antichrist who comes on the scene. And there's this beast and false prophet that take over. And uh, and so we know it's going to get darker and darker and darker here on planet Earth. And if we're going to stand for God, we're going to have to be strong in the Lord in a nation that becomes, or maybe has already become, a secular nation. You've probably heard of the moral majority. Started when I was just a kid. But, you know, if we're going to stand for Christ now, we're going to be in a Bible-believing minority. And we shouldn't despair. I read the stories in the Bible. God used Joseph in the Pharaoh's pagan kingdom. And God used Daniel during three different world empires. God used Nehemiah under a pagan king. And God used Ezra in the Persian Empire. And God used Esther to divert the slaughter of the Jews in a pagan empire? And God used John the Baptist to preach truth to Herod, for which he was beheaded? God used Paul to bring truth to the very halls of Nero, the same emperor who would have him beheaded and his friend Peter crucified upside down. Standing for truth is not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. America is going to experience some of the persecution that our faith forefathers went through. As you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, or if you read Martyr's Mirror, you understand that for hundreds of years, Christians could expect to be killed if they claimed faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to experience some of the hardships that our brothers and sisters around the world experience now. When they risk imprisonment just to meet together, when they risked death by the hands of their own family members to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Standing has never been easy. Standing's not easy now, but standing's always worth it. And don't ever buy into the here and now perspective. Keep your eyes on eternity. That's what Daniel did. And we find him, as we mentioned the first week of the series, as an elderly man kneeling to pray at his window, knowing that they were waiting to cast him into the lion's den as soon as he said the first word. But he stood, and God gave him everything necessary to stand. He gave Daniel presents. And I would submit to you as we finish this morning that God has given you presents that God has provided everything necessary for you to stand. And whether you have four wagons or two wagons or no wagons, you can stand. Maybe God has chosen you as one to carry some burdens on your shoulders that the people around you are pulling in their wagons. Maybe God has called you to endure some things, that your peers don't endure or your family members don't endure. That's a cause for praise, not complaint. See, God is good all the time, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And we, be, we have to be very careful as believers that we don't buy into the burden contest where we have to come before other people and talk about how bad our lives are. And how bad things have gotten for us, and how bad the job is, and how bad the family relationships are. You know what excites people? When we talk about how good our God is. When we talk about how bad our life is, you know what it reflects? You must not have a very big God. But when we talk about how good our God is, while we bear the burden, That's what God wants. And I don't know what your situation is today. But I tell you this, if Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego could stand, we can stand. Let's bow in a closing prayer. As we close this series today, I want to invite you, as Aaron comes to to play, I want to invite you to make a decision based on what you've heard today or in this series, to stand for God in your life and say, God, no matter what you give me in the way of ability and gifting and provision, I'm going to do what I can with what I have. It doesn't matter what the resources are, and it doesn't matter what team you build around me. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And it doesn't matter how tough it is for my family. I'm going to worship you at home and I'm going to teach my children to know your name. I'm going to follow you with my life because I know that you've gifted me and you've called me. You want to bless me. Father, this morning, would you take our hearts and implant in us a passion to stand, a passion to complete your purpose. Lord, not to stand just for the sake of standing so that we can brag about how we stood. Not to stand just to be divisive and mean-spirited toward the people around us, but to stand on truth, committed to who you are as the way, as the life that leads to eternity. Guide us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, the altar's open, or if you need to kneel at your seat. Whatever is God... God's led you to do. Just take a couple minutes this morning and ask God to help you to stand with wherever you are. Would you come right now? I have
2: decided to stand for Jesus. I have decided to stand for Jesus. Decided To stand for Jesus No turning back No turning back Let's sing that all together. I have decided To stand for Jesus I have decided to stand for Jesus. I have decided to stand for Jesus. No turning back. No turning